keeping up on Seattle area politics is tough. Who has time to sit through a three-hour council meeting and sort out which decisions will affect you most? Please vote aye. 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 Well, what if getting caught up on current events was as simple as getting a cup of coffee with some City Hall insiders who know which stories are hot and which are not? Welcome to Seattle News, Views, and Brews. And here we go. Thanks for being with us on Seattle News, Views, and Brews, giving you a highly caffeinated dose of Seattle area politics in every episode. I'm Brian Callanan. I am a host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own. With me, as always, it is Seattle City Council Insights, Kevin Schofield. Kevin, good to see you. Hey, Brian. And we have a big thanks, of course, to City Grind Espresso. The owners, John and Charlie, you know them as the coffee cart on the first floor of City Hall. They are our background noise sponsor, that coveted role. Thank you very much for providing that noise for us. So here we go. Let's start it off with right here, right now. So as we're heading into the middle of January here, we're getting past the Martin Luther King Day weekend, and the city council will start their meetings on Tuesday of this week. Looking at this, there are some big bills that are happening right now. Council Member Sawant at the center of a lot of them. Yeah, that's right. We've got two big bills coming up for uh, for votes on committee meetings this week. Mm-hmm. One of them uh, we'll be hearing about on Wednesday, which is Council Member Sawant's bill to expand the number of permitted tiny home villages uh, and sanctioned encampments. Today, there's a limit of about five or six, Mm -hmm. although the city is actually over that right now, and she'd like to expand that to 40. And the other thing she'd like to do that is in her bill is to extend the city's ability to re-permit existing sanctioned encampments. Mm -hmm. The way it works today is they can get a one-year permit, Mm -hmm. and the city has the ability to extend that to a second year but the authorization stops after two years, yeah. and she'd like to lift that limit. There's so much going on with this. City council members I've talked to, many of them are saying 40 sounds like a big, big number because we're talking about eight city-funded tiny house villages around Seattle right now. With the last budget, the Seattle City Council did put some more money into those villages to try to grow this system. But 40, I don't know if that's uh, – that feels like a big, big sticking point, that that number. Where do you cite these things? That's a big deal. That's right. And, you know, it, it's probably impractical to ever hit 40. Yeah. But the interesting part about this is when you look at the statistics for tiny home villages mm-hmm. versus uh, enhanced shelters mm-hmm. versus basic shelters, the tiny home villages are the best thing going right now. They're actually – they actually have the highest rate of moving people out of homelessness into permanent housing of, of, or different kinds of programs to help them yeah. of any of the different kinds of shelter option, emergency shelter options that we have. Yeah. So it's understandable that council members want, would like to see, and the other council members would like to see more of these. It's just really a question of how much funding they put in, mm-hmm. how many of them can we actually find places to site, yeah. And, yeah. And, and can they get them up and running. And I think we've seen a really interesting microcosm of this uh, around the North Lake area. I've talked with a few of the people there, that Nicholsville encampment there. That is a group that is not really in good favor with the city right now, for want of a better phrase. There's a bit of a of a struggle there when it comes to 
the campers themselves having that sort of autonomy in dealing with their camp. There's a religious group that's coming in there right now that's helping out with Mm -hmm. that camp. But I think we're going to see more battles like that if indeed we do see more of these tiny tiny house uh, villages around the city. And I think it's very important to point out, Devil's going to be in the details here with Councilmember Sawant's legislation. Haven't seen it yet. I know that traditionally... Her legislation has to go through through some revisions. I've That's heard that right. from a lot of different council members. As I understand it right now, there really isn't great language to say tiny house village even. It could be just we right. need more encampments around the city. That's a big deal too. That's right. It, it is it is very inclusive of sanctioned encampments and tiny house villages. Right. One of the answers, you, you raised uh, you know, the issue of what's going on with the North Lake yeah. uh, uh, tiny home village right now. And one of the issues around that is the question of whether we're looking at tiny house villages as a short-term emergency shelter solution or as a long-term solution for a number of these folks yeah. who want to set up their own little communities like right. this. And it's the, 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 the houses are very cheap to build. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly the North Lake Village has you know built a sense of community and, yes. and autonomy around mm-hmm. itself. And, and the neighbors there are, are relatively supportive. They're relatively yeah. supportive. But, but, and so you know, coming back to this notion of yeah. do we extend the ability to permit them beyond two years is really a question about is this a temporary solution for folks or are we starting to look at this as a long-term solution? Yeah, does that folks? open the door for people to stay there potentially longer is what you're right, saying? Right. Yeah. Very interesting there. I wonder if we could move on to another big piece of legislation coming up this week, and that is Councilmember Sawant's ban on winter evictions from November through the end of March. I know there's a special meeting coming with this. What's going on with this piece of legislation? Right. So Thursday evening, Councilmember Sawant is holding a special meeting of her committee, first first committee meeting uh, of the year, uh, to uh, talk about, potentially amend, and potentially pass out of committee her bill, which would ban evictions of landlords, residential landlords, from evicting someone between November 1st and March 31st. We mm-hmm. talked about this a little yeah, bit yeah. before. Uh-huh. Um, and... You know, it's going to be interesting, right? There's some controversial parts of this. There are uh, no exceptions to this. Right. And, you know, she says it's modeled on a Paris, similar kind of ordinance. Sacre bleu. What's going to happen with that? Who knows? And San Francisco has an ordinance which is sort of similar to this. It bans uh, evictions for for school employees, families with children, um, uh, child care workers during the school year, but only for certain causes, such as owner... uh, when the landlord wants to occupy it themselves, when there's a counter conversion, demolition. So it doesn't yeah. include things like failure to pay the rent. Right. Whereas Sawant's bill would ban evictions for those five months of the year for any cause. Right. right. And I think it's interesting to bring in that uh, Paris example because my understanding of what's happening in France is the government there is actually – holding some money aside for these landlords to connect with them so that right. the landlords aren't put out a lot of money. That type of uh, provision is not in the Sawant legislation from what I've heard. Certainly not right now. And, yeah. there's, and there's nothing in this year's budget that you know is money that would be easily allocatable to doing that. Yeah. Is it worthwhile doing this when winter, I know we just had some snowstorms that just went through the area here, but is it worthwhile to do something like this when winter is just about half over? Here we are mid-January. Well, Sawant's bill would not just be for the this year. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. Would that's be right. For every year. Yeah. Right. So yeah. this would be starting November 1st of 2020 mm-hmm. through March 31st of 2021. Yeah. And for every year after that. Yeah. And I know uh, overlaid with this, we talked about this earlier too, but at the state level, there is some work uh, from Nicole Macri, the state rep who's up in the Capitol Hill area and other parts in her district.
district there, really talking about trying to figure out a good cause eviction law, making sure that landlords actually have a cause to evict a tenant. I think this is a huge deal, and we're going to see a lot more of this at the state level, at the city level here. Mm -hmm. I know the city's going to be lobbying down in Olympia for for that measure and more, but I I think we're just nowhere near the end game when it comes to uh, what happens with renter protections, certainly from council members who want. Yeah, and we have strong uh, protections here in Seattle due to work from Councilmember Sawant yeah. and notably Councilmember Herbold. We yeah. both spent a lot of time working on that. I think, you know, when we, you know, if we, so we're to make predictions about what comes yeah. out of the state legislature yeah. this sure. year. Short they, session, yeah. They will do more. Mm-hmm. It probably won't be as strong as the Seattle ones, right? Mm-hmm. So Seattle renters probably won't get anything additional out of the state, but, yeah. you know, it'll help a lot of communities, you know, in Bellevue and yeah. smaller communities yeah. through the rest of the state that don't yeah. have the kind of strong protections that are in Seattle right yeah, now. Yeah, Buringen and Federal Way have lost. Uh, regarding that, but the rest of the state looking for some action down in Olympia. So we'll see what happens there. All right, we're going to move on to the next portion of our show. Now hear this. Okay, so we are reviewing some of the activity of our local leaders from the past week about progressive revenue sources, otherwise known as a tax on businesses, a head tax, or what Shama Sawant will not stop calling the Amazon tax. Let's listen in to what she had to say about this during her swearing-in ceremony. A few days ago, somebody asked me, why are you combining your swearing-in with the launch of the Tax Amazon campaign? My response to them was, my office is not mine. It belongs to all the working people of Seattle. And what better way to demonstrate that than linking the swearing in of our third term Socialist City Council office to what is going to be an incredible campaign to tax Amazon in 2020. Okay, so we're talking about taxing businesses here, Kevin. When we talk about this swearing in, she was aiming for a big business tax. We're talking about raising in between 200 and $500 million annually. And just to put this in perspective, Danny Westneat from the Times did a great piece about this. 2018, the proposal that was passed and then rescinded by the council, $47 million, of which $14 million would be from Amazon. This one, four to ten times that. She's really putting down the gas pedal here. I don't know if these will be the final numbers here, but let's talk about this, really asking for a lot with this tax Amazon proposal. That's right. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's a big tax on big business. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and it, it's one that didn't fly last time. Yeah. It's early days, uh, so it, it's not clear exactly what form it would take, what it would tax. Mm-hmm. She's uh, been very outspoken uh, so far in talking about this and saying trying to position is not a tax on jobs, but it's unclear you know, what that means. And yeah. part, partly that's just sort of PR positioning. So, uh, because she knows that that was a big part of what defeated the head tax last time yeah. is that it was spun as this is taxing companies desire to create new jobs. Yeah. But when you talk about spinning it, when you call it an Amazon tax, you, yeah, you can't yeah, spin that curveball. No, that's we, a fastball right at Jeff Bezos. Yeah. We know, we know who that's directed. And you know, it's interesting that she does mention Jeff Bezos a lot, yeah. but Jeff Bezos doesn't live in Seattle. Yeah. Right. 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 right she right. can't tax Jeff Bezos <laughs> or Bill Gates yeah. directly. That's a, that's a very good point. Interesting though, in the mechanism behind this, what I have heard from a number of different council members, council member Herbold has certainly signaled this, this idea of putting something on the ballot this year. I know we've touched on this earlier, but let's talk about this one more time. I really think that the council is aiming towards some sort of ballot measure in this because 
if the council tries to do this by fiat, clearly that doesn't work. It was tried a couple of years ago. Councilmember Herbold, when she was budget chair in 2017, tried to push this through. That didn't work. A public vote on this. Talk about the mechanism, possibly. What are we talking about? Yeah, I, I think you could look at this and say, no matter what method it takes in the short term, at the end, it's going to be on the ballot. Yeah, on a referendum, year, right? possibly. Yeah, yeah. If, if the city council were to do something on their own and pass one, then there would almost certainly be a referendum like was gearing up for the head tax last time, mm-hmm. which is what prompted them to repeal it. Yep. If the city council, you know, city council could take the, uh, the alternative of putting something on the ballot themselves yep. in the fall, certifying something for the ballot. Mm-hmm. Or there could be a, a voter initiative to yep. do that. And in fact, what Councilmember Sawant uh, earlier this month has been uh, saying in some of the emails that she's been sending out is that she wants to organize her supporters and advocates to uh, to gather signatures this spring for a November ballot initiative. Such that it would come from the community, not the council, I guess, is the, uh, is the piece certainly, there. It really, certainly seems to be that way. Yeah. And I think this is interesting, too. When you talk about just the mechanism behind that ballot there, it makes sense. This is an election, a uh, presidential year election, where potentially you might get some more left-leaning voters who are concerned about President Trump and what he's doing here. Maybe it's a good time to put it on the November ballot. But I'm thinking about how crowded that ballot might be. Just talking with Councilmember Peterson a short time ago, he's concerned about the Transportation Benefit District also up for renewal this year. Do you put it in August? Do you save it for November? Where do you put these different things? It's so interesting. But I, I really think that the gearing most likely is for something in November. Are you feeling that way? I think it's really it's really to say. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, sort of political maneuvering yeah. as at the state level, mm-hmm, right? With with you know, with with potential taxes and tax renewals at the county level, at the city level. Everyone tries to figure out how many do we want yeah, to yeah, be yeah. on mm-hmm. the August ballot. How many do we want to be on the November ballot? Who's going to show up in August versus November? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, so there's a lot of political calculus that goes into it, and we'll just have to see how that plays out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to watch that. Uh, let's move on to another issue here. You've been looking into this. Councilmember Herbold working on some development impact fees for utilities. What's happening here? And this is an issue that's that's come up, you know, several times a year for the last several years. Mm-hmm. That uh, the city, you know, taxes businesses for a number of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many jurisdictions around the state that uh, implement uh, impact fees, which is something that state legislature has authorized yes. cities and counties to do, so that as there's new development and new construction and cities you know, have costs to expand their water and sewer systems, mm-hmm. they can recoup the cost they need to do that. Yeah. Seattle hasn't traditionally done that. It's sort of one of the places that the city could be taxing businesses yeah. that it's not. And earlier this month in a committee meeting, Councilmember Herbold uh, indicated that she wants to revisit that again this year mm-hmm. and and see if this is the right time to implement um, a development impact fee specifically to support utility work. And we've got a new council member heading up that utilities committee in Councilmember Peterson. I'm sure he's going to be getting some guidance from Councilmember Herbold on that. But that's certainly something that we're going to be watching for in the next weeks and months to come as that work continues. So I think we're going to start wrapping up our show with what's next. All right, in terms of what's going on next here, we have been talking about Councilmember Sawant quite a bit here, Kevin, and there is that question of who is really running this council sometimes. I know we're in this position right now, a bit of musical chairs, if you will. Councilmember Herbold will be the interim president of the city council during the month of January. Then you've got Councilmember Mosqueda and 
Juarez, is it for that? Juarez. Yeah, yeah, for the for the rest of the month there until Council President Gonzalez comes back on the job after maternity leave. But I want to talk about that. We're in flux right now in terms right. of leadership, and I think we are seeing different council members flex a little bit, for want of a better right. verb. Yeah, and and some of it is how much running start they got. Yeah, Councilmember yeah. Swant uh, introduced a couple of pieces of legislation in the fall. And since she is returning as a council member this year, she's just carried those forward. And so the, so she's really hit the ground running with a lot of things. She's also introduced a couple of resolutions around some foreign affairs issues with what's going on in yeah, Iran right, right. and India right now, um, which are, you know, resolutions are things that we can... You know, take it or leave it, yeah. We can take it or leave it, and the yeah. city council can turn them around pretty quickly, right? Yeah, it's not binding, they, they right. Don't, they don't take weeks in committees to right, right, kind of right. crank through. Right. So she's got a lot of stuff going on. She's, she feels like she's got a mandate, and she seems to be driving pretty quickly on that. It's interesting. I've talked to some other council members, though, who've said, well, you know what? My margin of victory was just as big as Shamas wants. Does that mean that I have a mandate to do what I want to do? It, it's, it's really interesting how different council members view this. And in terms of her power position, she was actually president for a hot minute there at the start of the year. Remember that? That was she interesting. Did. She did, yeah. yeah. Because uh, she is the most senior right? of, the, of the city yeah. council members. Most now. senior She's is a socialist, as she said. <laughs> oh, man. We'll see how that goes. Some other stuff coming down the pike here. At the end of this month, just talking with this about Councilmember Strauss, we're going to be seeing a report coming down from the mayor's office, which has been looking into this, with regard to protecting significant trees in the Seattle area. This is an ordinance that has been worked on for many, many years. But the first order of business is get a budget from it. So budget for it, I should say. So you'll get a report from SDCI, the construction inspection folks, and hopefully figure out some structure to this. But in looking at this, Kevin, this is something where council members have tried and failed with this over the past couple of years. I remember most distinctly when council member Johnson was working on this in 2018, a very erstwhile council member really tried to bring in a lot of people, did a ton of study on this and it went nowhere. And O'Brien has taken a couple of cracks at this sure. too. This is a really, really tricky issue. And it, in some ways it's tricky because it, um, it, it can it can pit two different important issues in this city against each other. Mm-hmm. Environmentalism, you know, you can't argue against trees. Yep. Everybody wants yep. more trees. Yep. And the tree canopy is super, super important to yep. the quality of the air mm-hmm. that we breathe yep. and to the overall, you know, environment in yep. the city versus density. Yeah. Right? Because it, when you look at where the trees are in the city outside of city-owned properties like uh, wetlands mm-hmm. and parks, those trees are in single-family residential zone. That's right. Right? Yeah. So in in some senses uh, the um, the well there's there's a set of people who have been pushing really hard for stronger tree protection ordinances. Mm-hmm. And when you listen to the arguments they put in place, there's a huge overlap with what we sometimes call the NIMBYs in the city. The sure. people have really been arguing against increasing density in single-family yeah. zoning yeah. in the city. Yeah. And the biggest critique against that has been uh, against the people pushing for the tree canopy stuff is that they're trying to restrict density. Yeah. Right? And they have been accused of being NIMBYs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I, yeah. I think that that's a, you know, an ongoing, that will be, continue to be part of the ongoing debate here. Yeah. But, but it's really sort of this clash of these two issues that mm-hmm. are important in Seattle, right? Yeah. How much do we protect the trees? But is that an, an issue that's being militarized mm-hmm. to stop increasing density in single-family zones? Overlay with that uh, race and social justice issue, I think a lot of people would say, hey, down here in South Seattle, whatever else, we're not enjoying that same tree canopy that you've got in other areas of the city. So we need to make sure this is something equitable too. So there's a big fight ahead with that. I I know there's a lot more to be said. So expect to see a little bit more when a report comes out at the end of January. 
Also an interesting thing, talking with Councilmember Peterson about this, he's looking to create some sort of climate change impact with every different bill that comes through the council. Sort of as you see that fiscal impact statement, he's talking about a green impact statement. Interesting, he got this idea from Kathy Tuttle, who was running against him on the trail, which seems like a million years ago now last fall, but uh, she from Seattle Neighborhood Greenways. What do you think about this, trying to incorporate climate change into everything the city does, basically? Yeah, so what Peterson has asked for is, is that the uh, there's this document attached to every pe- every piece of legislation mm-hmm. that, that comes through. It's required. It's called a uh, fiscal impact document. Yes, right. And he said it should have environmental impact as well, right? We should require that every piece of legislation um, do an environmental impact. And there there's some folks who say, wait, is this going to be another thing like the state SEPA rules yeah, where yeah, yeah. environmental impact sort of becomes this umbrella for everything that yes. you, you could, you know. So many lawsuits from that. Everything yeah. in the kitchen sink that yeah. you could throw at these things to try to stop piece of legislation yeah, yeah. coming through. And he said, no, we're really going to keep this this time focused on you know, what we traditionally think of as environmental impact. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we'll see if that turns out. I think the devil's going to be the details. Yeah. Of it. I, I think it's certainly a promising idea to say, hey, look, we should be thinking about, you know, in this age of climate change, what is the environmental impact of new legislation that we want to pass? Yeah. I, I can tell you, you know, in the conversations and deliberations that happen in committees on bills, you don't hear the fiscal impact document coming up a lot yeah, very often. Yeah. So uh, they, they write it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much it's it itself has had an impact, and so right. I don't know how much yeah. uh, you know adding an environmental analysis okay. into that is going to have an impact. Pearson thinks, from what you said, that it's not going to slow down the pace of legislation. We'll have to see about that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, we'll see on that one. And there's one last piece I wanted to touch on here: a recent headline here with regard to uh, funding for law enforcement assisted diversion or LEAD. Council approved this. The mayor is saying, "No, you don't." I'm thinking about withholding funding on this. Can that really happen? I, from what I understand from different insiders I've talked to, Lisa Herbold being one of them, who's been at city council for decades as a legislative assistant and now as a city council member, what's going on here? A real battle over lead brewing. And this is something that, that started in the fall yeah. where uh, lead has been a success on, yes. on many levels. At least it, it certainly seems to be a success. Um, and it was getting so many referrals yes. from the community and from and the police department. Couldn't deal with them all. That, yeah. that the number of case managers that, that they were budgeted to hire could not keep up. They That's were just right. completely overwhelmed. Yep. And and so this pro, this really promising program was sort of on the verge of collapsing under its own weight. Mm-hmm. And the mayor increased the budget a certain amount. But uh, the folks who were really the advocates and the main uh, drivers of lead came back and said, we need a couple million dollars more than that. Yeah. The Balmer Group, a, a philanthropic group, came yep. up with some money. Uh, the city council added some more money. So really, you know, in the end, they fully uh, funded it for this year. But the mayor's come back and said, uh, repeated something that, that she and her office said last fall mm-hmm. when the whole budget negotiation was going on, saying, you know, it's not quite as crystal clear that it's that the program is a complete success. And now she's come back and said, I want to hire a consultant to really do a deeper analysis yeah. before we really go spend all this money yeah. to make sure that this program is really is really running right. Yeah. And there's sort of shades of what we're seeing at the at the federal level with Trump withholding money from Ukraine. Sure. Not that – I'm certainly not implying there's yeah. any kind of corruption going on with the mayor around this. But it raises issues about to what extent can the executive branch withhold money that the legislative branch, which controls the purse, has said mm-hmm. you're going to go spend this money. Yeah. That's, that's going to be a fascinating one to pull through. Thank you for your insight 
there, Kevin. And thank you, everybody, for joining us here on Seattle News, Views, and Brews. I'm Brian Callanan. This is Kevin Schofield. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. And the next time you want to know what's going on in local politics, make sure you give us a listen and find out what's brewing. Reach us via email at seattlenewsviewsandbrews at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And thanks for checking in. See you next time. Seattle News Views and Brews is an independent production of Callanan Media Services. Copyright 2020.